0: Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. And hey, be sure to leave a review to help others find this podcast. Hi, Sari. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, today we have Sari Green. She is a physician who has a story that she's not gonna tell the entire story um, because of confidentiality stuff uh, around her divorce. let's just put it that way. and uh, we don't need to hear the whole story because this is more about how how you changed that makes sense. yeah, definitely so but but do bring us into the you, you say it how you want to say it <laughs> And I'll, well, I'll I'll probably interrupt you a lot because so that I don't lose what I wanted to find out about. Yes.
1: So why don't I just start at the beginning? Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself and how kind of I came to this place. You can edit out what you don't want. <laughs> um, so I so I was I went to school as uh, I went to uh, undergrad as a dance major. Mm. Um, I had been a dancer, uh, while I was growing up, I came from a dancing family. My grandmother was a dancer and my mom ran a dance school. My brother actually became a professional dancer. And so from an identity standpoint for me, that was something I had done a ton, you know, all the uh, hours a day, every day after school, I had, uh, was in a dance company in high school and we toured internationally. And so when it was time to go off, <clears throat> excuse me, to college, I, I kind of couldn't imagine doing anything else um, because that just was kind of part of who I, it wasn't what I did. It was just kind of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to undergrad as a dance major.
0: It was your whole milieu, you know, I mean, like, was... there's some artists that have to fight their way to do it, but you were like swimming It was the water or air you were
1: breathing. Yeah, I just grew up in it. Our, 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 my mom's dance studio was the bottom floor of our house. And, you know, it just, just, (laughs) I just lived it ever since, you know, forever. Um, And so I went to college as a dance major. And one of my requirements for my dance major was a cadaver lab. Uh, where we dissected cadavers and um, I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever seen.
0: And when I took anatomy, I thought that everybody should take this course because aren't we all humans and wouldn't it be really sort of empowering to know what the inside of us look like?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's two types of people. There are some people that don't want to see it at all and others who are fascinated. And I was one of the fascinated ones. And um, by the end of that class, I was I had decided I was going to be a doctor.
0: And and what did that do to your identity? Because isn't that a rather abrupt shift? And usually, I'm not I don't know about doctors, but it seems like a lot of doctors they sort of know from the beginning a little, and they they just work their whole life towards that.
1: Yeah, um, I think a lot of doctors kind of know from when they're little they want to be a doctor. I had never really thought about it before. I just, you know, I, I liked school. You know, I was one of those kids who liked school. I did well in school. I liked sciences. I I liked math, but I don't know. It hadn't crossed my mind until I took that class. And then I was like, oh, well, this will be perfect. And so I kind of went full swing into everything I needed to do for that. I I added all of the pre-med courses into my course load. I did a ton of volunteer work. And then I also, at, at that point had some insight into how uh, like all consuming it would be. Um, (laughs) And so I didn't go right away. There were a number of other things I wanted to kind of explore beforehand. And I did Um, one of, you know, I wanted to travel and I traveled a lot. I lived abroad, and eventually I studied Chinese medicine actually for a couple of years uh initially, um, not so much uh with the intention of practicing, but really uh just to kind of anchor in that there were other modalities and other philosophies to health and wellness uh, that I wanted to kind of really ground myself in knowing who were there. Um,
0: not, be, not be like with this tunnel vision, the way many medical Western medical doctors are. I hate to say,
1: yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it is a modality, right? But it doesn't fix everything, um, it's specific training, um, and So eventually I, uh, went on to medical school. Um, I think initially with the idea that I would do something in primary care and, uh, incorporate, you know, different modalities into it. And then kind of similar to what happened to me when I did that cadaver lab, I did my surgery rotation in my third year of med school. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I need to be able to do this. Um, so, uh, I guess another identity shift at that point. Had you asked me before, you know, what type of doctor are you going to be? I would, my answer was always, I'm not really sure. uh, Definitely not surgery, but (laughs) yeah. And so that was interesting, an interesting shift for me. And then I just went, you know, full swing into that. Uh, My surgical training was six years. Uh, I went through general surgery residency and during my residency, I got married and after residency, I spent a little bit of time focusing on trying to get pregnant. I had tried uh, for a while during residency um, and did not get pregnant, which was not surprising because it, it's such a rigorous... Uh... It
0: doesn't sound like a very fun time to be pregnant. I mean, I, I well. Guess- I t-
1: just some I people mean, can
0: handle it, but holy yeah,
1: yeah, people do handle it. Um, I mean, I felt like my body was barely like surviving anyway, so it wasn't surprising <laughs> that it was, you know, um. But I, I was, it was something that I very much wanted, and so,
0: um, and, the, and the years were passing because women we can't just yeah wait forever.
1: So following my training, I I did get pregnant. Um, I at that point was in what I believe to be a happy, supportive, uh, really wonderful marriage. Um, And then I found out when I was four months pregnant, just, I just got an email from somebody that I don't know that opened a window into a complete double life that my husband was leading. And so that is where this big shift happened for me. You know, uh, that obviously changed everything. Mm -hmm. Everything fell apart. We separated, we have subsequently divorced, and I mean, we could talk for days about the identity changes and shifts and transformations that happened as a result of that, not only kind of immediately from that, but really rippling out into every aspect of my life.
0: So let's just get the ballpark picture. So the immediate, and then some of the ripples, and then whatever you want to detail about.
1: Well, I mean, the immediate, right. I, I did not have a plan B for my Mm. family, for my life. Uh, and at that time I was a wife in a wonderful marriage, uh, in this very equal partnership, uh, and I was pregnant. And so my vision looking forward was this happy family and white picket fence kind of life, you know, and all of a sudden overnight, I was now a pregnant single mom. And that wasn't on my list of possibilities of how things were going to be. You know, I had one of the things I remember, you know, I, I didn't tell a lot of people initially, I just kept going and tell anybody at work, kept going to work. Um, increasingly visibly pregnant and I didn't want to take off my ring because I was like, what does that mean about me? Who am I? If I'm now pregnant without my ring on, which in retrospect is so ridiculous, right? And now it's so right, right now it's just, you know, but at that time there were just all of these pieces to holding on to what it was going to be which it was never going to be again you know that just wasn't it wasn't it, wasn't it anymore wasn't it wasn't possible that was that was gone right that actually never existed it turned out um so that was a big one um I, I so, wait, so
0: what the big one was that you went on but you had to hide it
1: no i don't or think did... i went on and i had to hide it but just me coming to terms with oh,
0: that it was with what a... who
1: am i now right? Who am I now? What does this look like? Am I, you know, I didn't send out Christmas cards for five years, I think four years, maybe be. And I remember a friend just send it out with you and your son. I'm like, that's not my family, you know? So just kind of the identity of, you know, being a single mom, you know, I think being a mom, is a huge identity identity shift regardless, right? Mm-hmm. For, for anybody who goes through that transition, being a single mom with a newborn infant is not something that I ever imagined would be me. And here I was.
0: So, so this, this thing about forced identity transition versus chosen, like you chose to change your identity, you weren't ever going to be a surgeon, then one day you decided... Um, But especially with the forced identity transition, one of the hallmarks is it takes a lot longer than we want or expect. And then also, so part of that is then everybody around us gets impatient too. So how was that impacting you with people around you? Or how were you displaying that? I mean, okay, so one display was you didn't send out the Christmas cards for five years. What were other things of your identity that you didn't want to, or weren't able to sort of come to terms with as fast as fast as you would like? Because eventually we do, right? Yeah. So
1: I think another big part of it for me was a really big part was what it means to be a single mom. And I don't know that it, it had anything to do with anybody else's responses or reactions or take on it. it. That was all an internal battle. And I was struggling. I mean, it is being a new mom is hard. Being a new mom on your own is hard. Um, being a new mom on your own, dealing with this kind of grief and loss, uh, it was a lot. So there was that piece. I think there were, I had planned everything out in my life so carefully up until that point. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I did have some really significant shifts, but they were calculated and even my time off and my spontaneous travel time, you know, all of that was, was safe and calculated. Right. And now everything looking forward was just like a blank slate, you know, and I I didn't know how I was going to support myself, which now being on this side of it, I I recognize is pretty ridiculous. You know, I was a trained physician. I can support myself, but didn't feel like it at the time. It didn't feel like I was, I was like, had these visions of me and my tiny baby being, you know, out on the street and not being, you know, I, I just, how, how am I going to be able to live? Right. And, and then the piece of how did I get myself into this situation? How can I ever make a decision again? How can I keep myself safe? How can I trust myself? Yeah. Um, And that was a long and slow transition and transformation that as I look back there were very intentional pieces. You know, I did a lot of things. I did a lot of therapy and then I found coaching and I did a lot of coaching and I did a lot of reading and I listened to a million podcasts and I did it, but it didn't feel like it was changing at the time and I wasn't even aware of it, right? So it was just like, I was just stuck kind of in this abyss of fear and um, uncertainty and overwhelm. Um, But as that shifted and as i kind of look looked back on it um it shifted kind of far beyond where it's not like i got back to where i was before i got to a whole new place of
0: Are being leveled up
1: able to trust myself and being able you know so you know not only did i just kind of get back to i'm okay but i like kind of recognized my warrior self right how strong i am how Much I can persevere, how capable I am, Um, and so it kind and and this was a long, slow, windy, dark journey. So I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat it too much. But as I look back now, I recognize that was really a trigger to get me to a place that, you know, without such a massive dismantling, I. I don't know that I could have reached, you know, that just comes from a place of absolute discomfort and absolute dismantling where everything needs to be built, rebuilt, right? And including your identity in all of these different areas. And so as they rebuilt, I started to realize how much I could kind of intentionally rebuild and question the identities that I had had. You know, one of the things I always used to say is I'm just, I'm not a good cook. You know, I used to say that all the time. And I thought about it one day and I thought, you know, I just did a decade worth of medical training where I was working 80 plus hours a week. I'm not, not a good cook. I just haven't spent a lot of time learning how to cook. And so I did, and now I can make them make some pretty good things, you know? <laughs> so, you know, kind of questioning and in, in the language that we use about who we are, mm-hmm. right. You know, I, I am this, or I am that, you know, all of those kind of came into question as I had to recreate myself in my life.
0: Now, So, but some people don't get there. Some people don't realize their self-talk and realize that it's not, Helping them. So, how did you recognize it, or have you always recognized it?
1: I don't know that it was always conscious. No, I am. Um, I initially did uh, many years of trauma therapy <clears throat> with. I had really amazing therapists who specialized specifically in. You know, the, this issue. This yeah, can we just say area? this wasn't
0: the normal. Yes.
1: It was not a normal divorce. It was not a normal situation, right? Um, It was not on my radar. It was on steroids. Yeah. And it wasn't on my radar as something to be worried about before this, you know? So it wasn't. And then about, I don't know how long it was, two and a half years, maybe three, about two and a half years in, I started doing yoga, which Mm -hmm. I had dabbled in a little bit before. um, But I hadn't really done any. Kind of exercise or anything physical since I had had the baby. And the yoga studio that I joined was this really great community. And it was kind of became this like hour of time where It was almost like coaching, you know, this, you know, listening to the affirmations and the questioning of how we're thinking. And it was just kind of this blank slate of time where I was focused on physically what I was trying to do. So just listening to the instructor, I think that was kind of my first intro. I didn't know what coaching was at the time, but that was my first intro to it in retrospect. And then from that point, I joined a number of coaching programs over the years. I did a group po- coaching program. I hired a one on one career coach and kind of sh- transitioned uh, jobs. Uh, and as I increasingly kind of was involved in this coaching world, uh, you know, it's all mindset, right? And so I became increasingly aware of my own thought processes, my own belief systems, my own self-talk, how I tell my story to myself and what that means and,
0: and how we can change what stories we're telling.
1: And with that awareness comes agency. Exactly. Right. So as we become aware of it, you know, okay, that's true. Is it serving me to think about it that way? How can I reframe that? Right. And so then it shifted to, you know, my divorce dragged out for a very long time. Um, and you know, I kind of, was just like one hit after the other. And I was like, is this really now that, you know, years in like more stuff was just, you know, like a horrible movie, but it started shifting intentionally to, okay, what am I going to learn from this piece of it? Why is this piece here? Right. And that kind of mindset shift took, continues to take a lot of the kind of suffering out of it. Right. When you can start to learn how to reframe. So I think for me, it was, um, it was a, an intentional trajectory in terms of increasing awareness of how much mindset um, plays a part in this. Although I don't, I don't necessarily know that for the initial part of it, I was really aware that that's what it was. I was just trying to like figure out how to get out how to get out of where I was, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. So when you were, when you were in the middle of the worst of the worst of the divorce, what was most out of control and what did you have most a handle on? And how did that impact your, your core sense of stability and really believing in yourself.
1: Or is that too many questions in one? No, I'm trying to process it. I don't know if I can pinpoint. Everything was out of control. Everything was out of control. I moved every year uh, for the first five years, you know, kind of just increasingly trying to move forward towards more support and more stability, although I didn't know where that kind of end point was. Um, and I think that's a really big, a really big piece of going through something as overwhelming as this, where, you know, it's it's one thing if it's a your job or, you know, but when it's something that kind of encompasses everything and all of the aspects of your life are changing, right? There's so many decisions and it's so overwhelming and it's paralyzing, right? Because you can't see what it's gonna look like on the other side. And so this fear of like, I don't know how to make the right decision and that coupled by, you know, having lived in a relationship that was defined by gaslighting for so many years, even though I didn't know that at the time, right? So now I have to make all of these decisions I don't know where they're heading and I don't trust myself to do it. But what I learned is letting go of needing to know where the end is, right? Letting go of needing to know what it's going to look like and learning to trust your gut on just the next right step, right? Like just this one small fork right here. Where is it leading me? And as you do that, kind of these affirmations come in that reinforce that feeling and reinforce that you are moving in the right direction. And the next step in piece of the puzzle kind of appears. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And serendipity shows up at the door.
1: It does. And the more you notice it, the more it shows up.
0: (laughs) What are some of your serendipity? Oh my gosh. There were
1: so many. Let me see if I can retrieve some. There's so many. I mean, really just the people that I met along the way, um, people who kind of came in to support me, it's not, you know, I, I think a big part of going through such a massive identity shift is your, your world and your support system changes, right? Because you are, you are becoming the next version of yourself. And so while there are kind of common, some common threads, you know, my family was wonderful and super supportive through the whole thing and a handful of friends kind of really, have been have been threads through it all but uh new people came in you know just in various areas a number of them were were nannies that I had you know that I didn't have another parent there to co-parent with really on a day-to-day basis and then I just had a kind of a handful of really amazing nannies from you know two of them were grandmothers and then a handful of them were young, you know, college student aged girls, but that all just played a really important part in my son's life and my life at that point, just in terms of kind of having somebody else to hold some pieces of, of all of it, you know, I don't think I answered your question there. You did.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you were were talking about the serendipity and the gifts that while you were almost paralyzed, but you weren't paralyzed because you didn't know where the end point was, but you knew you couldn't stay where you were. That's exactly right. You really didn't have any choice to stay where you were. You had to be in motion and making these choices without adequate criteria for your decision making yeah and for somebody
1: who's been kind of a perfectionist and planner forever right medical <laughs> you're pursuing a medical career is a lot of work right but it's just you mapped out right you can tell mm-hmm. like this is where I'm going to be in 10 years you're all I got to do engineer. i just have to just have to study and take the tests and it's just all planned out right and then all of a sudden this is like void of um void of life ahead was very very disorienting and such a gift though right because it's limiting to have everything structured and planned out so you know i i kind of look back and like what are all the gifts that came from this and there's a lot
0: well let's go into that in a minute but do you know the word liminality so it's an anthropological term for um that they use for studying native cultures that have like initiation rights
1: oh, interesting
0: and so first you're a teenager and then you're an adult but then there's this, this initiation in between where you're neither a teenager or an adult because you're in your initiation rite period and so this this period of liminality is perfect for describing what happens when we're pushed into forced identity transition because the hallmarks of liminality is ambiguity and disorientation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and of course it taking longer than you want and longer than you expect, because really like medical career or many, many college or, you know, professional trajectories, you you know what the steps are, but in this state of, of identity transition liminality, we don't know what the end point is and other people can't help us and planning doesn't work because planning works when you know exactly where you're going and then you can reverse engineer back what needs to be done. Yes. But when you are in this first identity transition, you don't have that. And so therefore you have to do exactly what you did, which is make decisions, not based on logic or past knowledge, but just on your gut. Like, I think this is what I need to do right now. Yeah, that
1: is such a good point. And that for me, what came of having to do that, be in that space, right. For so many years is that I am so clear on what that feeling, what that gut feeling is now that when something comes up or I need to make a decision and I feel it, I don't, I I trust it. Right. And so I, I can, something can happen and I can feel that. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't, I don't know why. And objectively doesn't make any sense to me, but I know what that feeling is. And it's kind of, I think, resulted from, as I can reflect back over these last six years now and recognize where those transition points are and the path that it was leading me towards, the more that happened, the more that what that feeling is crystallized. And and honestly, even prior to my discovery, as I, you know, a a big part that happens for women who are in a situation like mine is kind of what they call this reality ego fragmentation, right? Everything that you thought was, wasn't, right? And so there was a lot of time spent in the past just ruminating, trying to put pieces back together. Okay, when this happened, this is what was really happening. And what I recognized while being kind of stuck in that place for so long is there were little feelings. I didn't know what they were. I had no context for them, but there were little feelings. And so that helped me kind of start to identify it, right? Even as horrible as that was, there was a a validation in that, right? Even though I, I wasn't conscious at the time. And then over the last six years, as I have been healing and rebuilding my life, as I have taken those steps based on what that feeling is, and then seeing where it led. And now I can kind of look at it as a bigger picture and put the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, it, it reinforced for me that, you know, that, that feeling moves me in the right direction. So now it has become kind of a real-time tool that I have. rather than something I just recognize when I look back on things. And that is probably the biggest gift, right? Because from that place, you know, we talked a little bit about safety at the beginning and how am I ever going to keep myself safe? You know, if I can't be trusted to make these types of massive life decisions, like who I marry, Um, but that's the ultimate safety, right? When it's just from within you, it doesn't matter what happens externally now, because that is something that I have kind of, harnessed in a in a very conscious way
0: well it it belongs to you belongs to all of us and you have made it accessible or let's say this this experience has made it accessible it was it was it's they call it like little whispers yeah they don't these these inner knowings they don't somehow have the right to really yell at us the way our inner critic does. They're just patient and they just they just do their thing and we if we don't pay attention, then they just they just go back to their room. Yeah. And now and so that's what I want to like just make sure the audience hears is that we always have this inner knowing and these inner whispers. And yes. we can learn to access them without having some big tragedy happen in our life. Would you agree? I do
1: agree. Absolutely.
0: Do you have any suggestions how people can be uh, respect these inner knowing's ahead of time? Like I mean, like in retrospect now what might you have done differently? I'm not and this is all on retrospect and we don't have access to retrospect in the moment. So I, it's not to imply that you could have done anything different.
1: I don't know that there's anything that I would have or could have done different. Um, maybe it's just because I, I I tend not to look at life that way, mm-hmm. right? But what I think is that with the increasing awareness about how we are thinking, how our thoughts are working and how our what our belief system is and kind of what our what we are making the events and circumstances in our life mean with increasing awareness around that, um, we become increasingly attuned to
0: our own inner knowing. For me, I, a lot of that came
1: through and continues to come. You know, it's not an, an arrival place by any means, but through coaching and just challenging. You know, is that really true?
0: Like, mm-hmm.
1: Yes, it's true. Is that really true? You know, like maybe not, you know, and um kind of learning to shift the lens uh on 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 how we are seeing our circumstances.
0: How we're seeing ourselves and our circumstances, because yeah, we have this lens that that is like uh implanted. Yeah. And everything we see, then and think about, is through that lens. And so, even though the inside of us knows our truth, pretty much at all times, and yeah. tries to tell us, we're we're looking from the outside in through this other lens. And so, coaching, therapy, yeah, even even friends yeah. that can. Friends, friends generally don't challenge you the way a coach does, and and actually therapists don't always challenge you the way a coach does. They all
1: they all play very important different roles, I think. Right. right? Yeah. I, I. Yeah. That lens, that is shaped, you know, from how we grew up, the culture that we're in, the experiences that we've had, the job that we work in and, and you know all of that stuff layers in to create this lens that we see the world through right but that truth is not necessarily a universal truth or a fact right there's so much room in there though it often doesn't seem like it or we don't even question it right it's just kind of functioning on on a on a subconscious level for us but everything is driven from that place.
0: Yeah. Isn't it something like 90% of the brain is run from subconscious that we're not even aware of some, some really big,
1: some very, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Most of, most of what we're doing is on autopilot, (laughs) you know, and that's a huge gift that came from this. I have to say also, right? Like i couldn't be on autopilot anymore you know i was in survival for so long and i had to shift myself figure out how to shift myself just you know baby step by baby step out of straight survival mode and you know it was really hard but a gift of that is that it you know i feel like for a lot of stages of life and a lot of people you know we're kind of just sleepwalking through and it was a pretty strong jolt out of that
0: (laughs) so it's it's sounding kind of parallel to a mortality moment where once you survived death you're never gonna be able to look at life the same way again and it and it gives you this new filter to look through new lens
1: yeah that's a good that's a good analogy it definitely gives a new filter and a lens uh, I think both in the positive and the negative, right? Like it it let me learn so much about myself that uh, I may otherwise not have been challenged to learn. Like um, what? I mean, how strong I am, um, how resilient I am. I mean, had you asked me before if I could get through something like this, I... I wouldn't have even known how to start thinking about it, but here I was, you know, I have a healthy, happy child. I have a job that I love. I have a business that I've created that I love. I, you know, I, it's not so much that I didn't think I was or could do any of those things. I just, they hadn't been challenged or questioned, right? And the other lens that it opens up that you can't ever unknow is there's kind of a whole world of pain and suffering, um, that was also not in my realm of reality, both for me and, uh, kind of, you know, for my ex-husband and other people as well, you know, there was a whole world of, of. Kind of trauma and addiction and um that that really wasn't on my radar in terms of of the rawness and the struggle that comes with that so
0: yeah life life is a life like <laughs> lessons huh it is it is now, i think i'll
1: go ahead oh i was just going to say one of the things that i did really learn is um And this is something that I kind of keep with me on a day to day basis is how much we can be responsible for our own experience, really, regardless of what is happening around us. Mm -hmm. And so, when difficult things happen now, challenging things happen now, you know, just the reframing and the asking the curious questions rather than going into kind of despair or overwhelm, you know, it doesn't mean that life is all you know, rainbows and daisies or whatever that saying is now, right? You know, that's not the human experience, but, you know, there's an extra layer of suffering that we add to our experience and that part we have control over. And, you know, having been through all of this, you know, for the most part, I am quite able to not add that layer on. As I move through life now, or when I notice that I'm adding it on, I, I have some awareness of it happening and. can
0: that, that know, it's have a this choice.: Tools
1: to, to scale it back. Yes. Exactly.
0: So part of it isn't a choice, and then there comes a, and then part of it is choice. Yes. Yes. And how do you distinguish between those?
1: I almost have come to a place where I feel like I'm an observer of my life you know, there's a space between me and what's happening and me watching what's happening. Um, and this isn't
0: dissociation, right?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think it's pathologic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because, because it's, you know, a lot of okay. us know how to do that part too. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think
1: it's pathologic. It's more just like, there's kind of a breath between, you yeah. you know, the stimulus and the response to it. And I can see it, uh, you know, a tiny step back rather than just being consumed in it.
0: It's like tick, not on top. Yes. That's, you breathe in and you think I'm breathing in and that, and that makes you aware that you're breathing in. Yes. I'm breathing out. And then you think I'm breathing out. Yes. And just that, that, slowing down and connecting with the moment allows us to observe without being somehow without having that that level of observation we are more in this reactionary mode wouldn't you say yes. than responsive mode
1: yeah i mean we're working from our primitive brain right in that place we're working from our our, our, our thought process, our, our response to it is not from an intentional place. And so, and everything that drives us from there is kind of on that trajectory. Whereas, if we can create a little bit of space for it, then we cannot be from this reactionary, primitive survival brain place but we can work from our human brain from our prefrontal cortex where we have the agency and the capacity to evaluate and make choice right mm-hmm.
0: yeah and number one is adults and number one, two is humans that's just our greatest capacity is to recognize our our thinking and our choices and how much control we have Yes. In those things. Yeah. And, and so many people believe that what they believe is true and that's what they have to stick with. And they don't even realize that it's just a belief.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I've heard it said, you know, beliefs are just things that we have thought over and over so many times that we have decided they're fact, but
0: they're not. Right, right. And sort of proof in the pudding is so many people with these overcoming stories of, of just horrendous things in life that can come out and, and, and have a happy and fulfilled life is that, that it's not, you know, what happens to us and what we think isn't the whole picture of reality. It's part of reality, but it's not the whole equation.
1: Yeah. That made me think of uh, of something that several years down my path, I started to realize is that I was so in it while it was happening that it just was me, right? This was mm-hmm. my story. This is who I am. I am this single mom who had, you know, I, it was just this. And as I kind of created some distance and time created some distance and I started to heal. And I looked back and started reconnecting to my life prior to that relationship. I started to see it more as the continuum of my life and this being a chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Which it is, right? It doesn't feel like it while you're in it. Right. This was just a really intense chapter um, along the big picture of, of this long life. I coach women now who are going through similar situations and I can, you know, when we're talking and I, 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 I can feel and they can, they say, you know, they are just kind of so consumed in this and I try to remind them, you know, this is impermanent. Right. You know, it doesn't make it feel good right now. You know, this isn't one of the feel good parts of the journey, but this isn't you, you know, this isn't your whole story and you can take with it or take from it what you want as you, you know, get to create the next chapter of your life.
0: And they're like, yeah, right. Thanks a lot.
1: (laughs) They're like, yeah, crazy.
0: (laughs) But those words are still in them every day, helping them, even though they're not able to believe them yet. Just like when working with battered women, you, you know, everybody's telling them the same thing: "is like you deserve better, you need to leave, da, da da da." And you feel like you're wasting your breath, but you're not, because those words they're landing, and they're doing whatever they need to do in there, and none of us on the outside can ever know when is the right moment for a person to change to make a change and to to let go of the beliefs and and some some people never do and then many do and and just imagine if we've given up on on telling them the same thing like oh i'm not gonna you know i'm not or i'm not gonna have the same conversation again or even with with addicts you know i'm you know I've told you the same thing a million times. And I'm not saying that sometimes we don't need to cut people out of our life. What I'm trying to say is that it is important to keep giving these messages to people, even though they're not necessarily in that moment in the position to make the change that everybody else knows that they need to make.
1: Well, they're seeds, right? And so uh, for me, yeah, along the way there were therapists and coaches and you know books and podcasts and all you know that i would recognize down the road how those seeds that were planted before were now starting to blossom and and i think it the the intentional part is not so much you know what exactly is going to come of this right now but giving as much airtime to where you want to be going, uh, is possible, right. You know, the, the idea of where you put your energy grows. And Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I did is, uh, I, one of my first coaches, it was, uh, a tool that she gave me and I thought it was really silly at first, uh, but I did it anyways, because I had hired her and (laughs) I, I made kind of index cards and, um, with, uh, kind of affirmations, I guess you could say, or, or clarity on like what what I control, what I can control, what I can't control, you know, what I believe, what I, you know, and I, I wrote them on index cards and I pasted them uh, in front of my, um, on the wall in front of my computer. So every time I was sitting there, I just, my eyes caught it, right? And it's kind of having your brain, like putting your brain to work for you, right? Because our brains have to filter stuff out All the time, just to get you know get through. We have so much stimulus, right? So being intentional about what we are asking our brain to focus on starts to create shift, you know. And we don't have to make that shift happen. We just have to give the stimulus that we want to start to recognize. And you know, after looking at those index cards for month after month after month after month, it kind of becomes more ingrained in my Thinking. And I use that all the time now. I use those kinds of tools.
0: Well, those th- that's got me through college because I was not <laughs> a, a studious type. And the first thing I ever got about affirmations on um, this friend of mine gave me this book is, I forget what it was called, but basically I would make these little post-it notes, this size, and whatever assignment I needed to get done that felt impossible, I would put I can whatever it was now. And so it was bringing the future into the present. And what it, what it does is it, it, it loosens up the brain into that possibility. Mm-hmm. Because even, even there was this other one that this woman gave me years on later, to look in the mirror and say, I love and respect and accept you. And I would look in the mirror and I wouldn't believe one single word of that. And it felt so ridiculous to do it because it's like, why am I saying this if I don't believe it? Well, the whole reason we're saying it is to change our beliefs and our beliefs are so stuck. And guess what? They are wrong about a lot. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was very interesting because I just, I continued at it Um, Because I did want it to be true. And over time, I don't remember how long, but a long time. Then I could actually say those words and believe them. Yeah. Maybe not not feel them yet, but believe them. Because there's all these different levels of getting rid of really entrenched beliefs that are damaging our lives. And so the first one is like aware awareness, and then and then at least trying to change the belief and then actually believing it, and then feeling that it's true. For me, at least, the, those are sort of the way it yeah. went for me is that the feeling part was at the very, very end. that like I can logically know stuff, but um, I can logically know things, but it doesn't, doesn't really change the way I feel about it. And that's where, that's where like nowadays, especially for trauma treatment, somatic therapy, mm-hmm. body feeling stuff is really important because sometimes our, our, our intellect can totally understand why things are as they are, but that doesn't necessarily change anything.
1: Yeah. We, that's all stored in our body. Yeah. Yeah, the affirmations I had a lot of resistance to uh, early on also, and increasingly it became has become a reliable tool, uh, I think really in kind of in the way you said, you would you say you put it on your mirror? That um, you that, that,
0: well, the ones about ICANN now would be, I didn't use a computer back then, yeah. but it would be wherever I was like trying to write those yeah. papers. And then, but the, I love respect and accept you was on the mirror. Cause I was supposed to be looking at myself in the eyes. my yeah.
1: yeah, no, I love it. I think it's such a great tool. I have a bracelet that I wear now that says uh, she believed she could. So she did. Oh
0: my God. And
1: you know, whenever, just, if I have, you know, a big presentation at work or just anything, you know, just like, just touching it and I know what it says. And it just like, it's like a boost of, we don't want to use the word confidence because that's not right, but, um, kind of strength or,
0: well, it's, it's your, it's your, it's your backup. It's your bodyguard. <laughs> Just that, that thought is, is yeah. like a, a bodyguard. It's like, all right, nothing, nothing's gonna, I can show up for anything. Yeah. Or, or I guess talisman, isn't that a good word for it? that the wrong meaning for that word. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it is it is really important to just this whole thing about changing how, changing our beliefs. And it upsets the apple cart for people around us sometimes. And so a lot of people won't change because of that. And the choice is, you know, what's right for me, right?
1: I think in the realm of forced transformation, forced identity transformation, you know, we're really driven by our survival instincts, right? Like uh, Maslow's triad, you know, and one of the, you know, we don't seek out discomfort, right? We don't seek out difficult things, you know, our, our, that's not how we evolved. And so, sorry kind of the, the massive shifts in change that can come about um, through something like this happening or a big trauma. Um, it's because those pieces were forced, right? Like we didn't have a choice. You know, I was like squarely in discomfort. I <laughs> didn't choose to go into it. But once you're there, right, then the possibility opens for all of the change that comes from it. We were you know, pretty well evolved not to uh, go down that path very far when life around us is stable and comfortable.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Why bother? Now, what in your, what from earlier in your life helped you in, in that transition time? So you told us what, what you did in the transition time, you went out and got help. Mm -hmm what strengths did you bring in that now you in retrospect you see boy i'm sure
1: i think a lot um i mean i think i was i was well poised to uh to meet this challenge when it came didn't feel like it at the time but from my medical training for example that is kind of the ultimate delayed gratification right it's you're just it's you're in it forever you can't see and it's a long yeah and so that kind of just perseverance was I think a quality that that helped me go through Um, I have to say my family support was you know really really incredible and so it's, it's such an isolating experience when something like this happens, right? You know, I, I was like, oh my goodness, this has never happened to anybody in the history of the world. And kind of everything around me felt like it fell apart, but my family was still there. And so that was a really strong thread through the whole thing. One of the things, and I think I had mentioned the yoga before, and that was a, that was a big shift for me. Things I think started to open up and the momentum changed when I started doing that. And I think it kind of took me back to that being such an important part of how I grew up dancing, right? I very much used my body and all of this trauma and all of this pain was kind of locked in to my body in the beginning years. And as I started to move it, you know, that energy um, starts to move and starts to open up and Mm -hmm. can start to be released. So I think that was a tool that um, was really, really valuable for me. One of the things that I learned in my traditional Chinese medicine training was body work, which is looked at very differently than it is kind of in west you know here it's like a massage and you go to a spa but it's kind of very much part of of health and wellness in in that system of of medicine and so kind of having getting body work and the deep tissue massage type thing to help kind of move the energy through and open things up was not something I did very often because uh, there was a lot of time scarcity in my life at that point, working full-time with an infant, <laughs> but um, definitely something that uh, was valuable uh, that I think I brought in from previous chapters of my life.
0: All right. Well, any what are some takeaways that, that you want to give for people? Oh,
1: goodness. Um, I would just say trust the journey. You know, the the more we resist, the more suffering there is with it. Um, There's a Buddhist saying, and I'm I'm probably going to botch it a little bit, but it, uh, about the arrow, it's called the arrow. And it basically says that when you get hit by an arrow, you'll feel pain in the part of your body uh, where the arrow struck. Um, And if you get hit Again, by a second arrow in the same place, you feel exponentially more pain. That the first arrow is kind of the unwelcome, kind of painful experiences of life that are unavoidable. And then the second arrow is our resistance and our story uh, around that. And that is what amplifies the suffering. And I think that's the part that we can learn to have agency over as we go through. These are going to be parts of people's journey, right? This is what life is. This is how we grow. These things will happen. Yeah. Um, Take
0: reality by the horn.
1: Yeah.
0: Don't put your head in the sand. Yeah. All right. Well, how can people connect with you? And what um, I'll have all this in the
1: show notes, but. Okay. The best place to reach me is um, via email, and it's Sari, S A R I, at green. Lotus, L-O-T-U-S,
0: coaching.com. All right. So so you do coaching for women going through divorce? What's your coaching specialty? Yeah,
1: mainly going, the way I kind of describe it is women going through kind of big disorienting life transitions.
0: So it doesn't have to be divorce. It
1: doesn't have to be divorce uh, because people... Going through similar experience tend to resonate with my story. That is a, a good bulk of what I do. But yeah, not specifically. It doesn't have to specifically be divorce. Kind of being in if, that if place you're just where you're
0: populated. Just, yes.
1: <laughs> that kind of place where you are kind of in between two chapters of your life and trying to figure out how to. Bring more intention to creating where you want to go, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And you never imagined to be doing this work, I bet.
1: I never imagined to be doing this work. Yeah, this also was not part of the plan. But it, it, uh, over the years, as I kind of shared a little bit about what I had gone through, people started reaching out to me with similar stories. And I, uh, listened, uh, and I think just that in itself is helpful, right? To to find some kind of connection with somebody who has had a similar experience. But I kind of started to realize, as time went on, that I would be able to help more with some skills. So I went through coach training and have done yeah, an additional um, uh, trauma training, uh, trauma coaching training um, uh, to kind of be able to give back a little bit more for people who are you know,
0: a few years behind where I am now. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. There are so many insights that you gave in your story and I really appreciate it. And I'm pretty sure that the listeners are going to get so much out of your unfortunate story. That I mean, in a sense, unfortunate it happened. And although that came out of it, that is... Sort of like compost, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that analogy, but I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, just sprouting some really yeah. luscious stuff in life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely at a place where I wouldn't change it for anything, because I would not be here without it. Doesn't mean I I wish for anyone to go through yeah. that kind of pain or darkness, but um, there's a lot of light on the other side.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what the people in the middle of it need to know. And the people who are around the people in the middle of it, what they need to know is that it can be years. It's like people aren't just going to like, transform on your timeline. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a long, it's a long, slow process before you kind of recognize that there is some closure to the initial parts of it, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, I guess it's called integrate integration, right? You've integrated it.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, integrated it, integrated that part of it and kind of fully stepped in to what the next version is, right? Which mm-hmm. is really amorphous at the, non-existent at the beginning. And then you kind of start to see glimpses of it, but you don't know what it is and how to get there. Um, And it gradually takes form and you, yeah, integrate kind of all of the experiences that built that into where you you find yourself now. Mm, That's beautiful.
0: Well, what did you love about this interview or did you get any insights?
1: I did. Well, even just before, uh, before us talking, just when I initially connected with you, just the idea of the identity part of it, right? I've thought a lot about what I have gone through and, Mm -hmm. you know, common themes come up with clients frequently. Uh, And this piece is kind of the identity piece of it is something that I talk with them about a lot, but it hadn't really had its own um, packaging packaging. Yeah. And so since us connecting, it's just been on my mind more. And so kind of recognizing I, I went through before we talked and kind of wrote this like flow chart timeline from an identity perspective that just was like, as I was looking at it on the page was fascinating to me because I knew all the pieces, but they hadn't linked together until I started, you know, back to what we were talking about before, you know, where your, your energy grows until I kind of had my brain pay attention to this, it hadn't clarified at all. And so it's, it's been a really, I think, interesting and valuable exercise, both for me and just to be able to articulate more clearly and guide clients through. So thank you.
0: I appreciate it. I think it's a really great idea for a podcast. Oh, great. Well, yeah, I just, I love it because it's very specific because there's you know there's a million trillion overcoming stories overcoming adversity stories and podcasts and I wanted to have you know sort of a specific angle to look at it yeah with.
1: it's such a great idea you know it 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 didn't take me long even to write it out because it was all there, but I hadn't been able to see how it kind of went from like this identity I grew up with and developed just kind of as this continuum from, you know, a kid who followed the rules and did well in school to ultimately going through medical training to being this kind of societally accepted, validated job type thing. And a wife and then i'm gonna be a mom and then having it just leveled all of it you know just a little leveled and then and then what was it right and then what grew out of that is the resilience the perseverance the strength the warrior right kind of all of these things that came out of the survival phase that then flourished into this realization that these stories that I believed about myself, that I'm quiet, that I'm not a good speaker, that I'm not a good cook, that I don't, you know, and I hadn't ever questioned them, you know, that's just who I was. And, and as those, because the overall barrier had been broken down, right, everything became a possibility again you know, in a way that I didn't realize there were limiting beliefs around those things, but now anything was a possibility. And so I just get to choose who I am and the world is pretty big when you come at it from that angle.
0: Right. Oh my God. That is, uh, that just gives me chills. I think (laughs) that is a very strong point to end on. So thank you very much. And I'll put your information in the show notes.
1: Okay. Terrific. Thank you so
0: much for having me. Thank you. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.